Welcome back, everyone, to another special episode of Anime Was Not a Mistake, in which we are briefly diverting from anime to do a good movie podcast mm -hmm. in what will perhaps be one of the worst episodes of the podcast, oh, I fear. Already setting it up for failure, Dan. <laughs> I am Ben Ryan, unrelated mm. to Dan Ryan, uh, but, you know, I'm just a hermit who lives in the, the mountains. I see, I see. Joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? See, you're getting it. Yeah. You get into it. Yeah. You got the, the, the listeners can't see, but you got, got the... i got two cinnamon buns on the side of my head. You do, yeah. I just have one question before we start, Dan. Are the chains really necessary? <laughs> oh, well, hmm. I don't think so, mm. but we are finally doing Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yay! <laughs> you know, originally released in 1997 as simply Star Wars uh, Episode Four, and the subtitle wasn't added until after... Uh, the Empire Strikes Back came out mm -hmm. when it was decided what, well, loosely what the entire series would look like at that point. Yeah. Um, and this is a difficult episode to do. I know. It's I one of your masterwork materials, yeah. I definitely wanted to do it because, one, I needed to catch up to you in terms of doing more good movie podcasts. Yes. Um, and my previous two picks were, like, weirder movies that... I don't know if they have the like the general prestige mm -hmm. that that your picks have had. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to kind of go somewhere in that direction while also bringing my usual flavor to the podcast that yes. contrasts your more uh, artsy novarish uh, sensibilities. I mean, it's a good movie for you. So yes, I'm, that's what I'm happy to see. Um, but preparing this episode was. A kind of a daunting task, <laughs> because I wasn't exactly sure how to approach it. Uh, but luckily, based on the format of Good Movie Podcast, and the fact that we started with Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm -hmm. we did a very loose, uh, in my opinion, very good yeah. discussion of that movie. I figured we have this format now, or lack thereof, and I can approach Star Wars the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, we're no not... notes I see in front of you, all in your noggin? Well, yeah, I have a little bit of an outline oh. on my phone here. Oh, I see. But this is just, uh, this is some, like, brief talking points. Yes. Um, so, I will I will take the lead oh, briefly here. Yeah. And uh, just to, to reiterate, in case it wasn't obvious enough, to the listeners that Star Wars is very important to yes, me personally. Yes. Uh, it is, like, a definitive, formative, you know, fictional, you know, franchise for me. Mm-hmm. It has been for a very long time. Godzilla predates it, because I don't know if I've covered this before, I don't remember watching my first Godzilla movie, because mm -hmm. I was so young, mm -hmm. but these movies I do remember viewing for the first time. Mm. And my first experience with them, uh, controversially or not, was with the 1997 VHS releases mm. of the special editions, which... If anyone is unfamiliar with what I, those are... I am, yes. I know there's uh, many you know, editions of these films. Yes, there were original theatrical versions that, for one reason or another, George Lucas was kind of perpetually unsatisfied with. Mm -hmm. So in the 90s, in the lead-up to when the prequels were coming out and special effects were starting to level out for the 90s, uh, he went back with his team at Lucasfilm and released... The special editions, which included a number of new CGI scenes mm -hmm. that were added in to kind of, like, put some flavor in the background, 
originally, for instance, Jabba the Hutt had been portrayed as just, uh, he'd, I think he'd shown up in a deleted scene as just a portly dude, oh, a okay. crime boss, right. instead of the slug that we know and love from Return of the Jedi. So mm-hmm. they went back in, added him into those scenes with some creative editing work. And added a lot of, like, CGI background flavor to make mm-hmm. everything feel more alive mm-hmm. in prep for doing that with the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were released on VHS, and because George Lucas is very insistent that whatever the last edit of the movie <laughs> is, is my canon vision, mm-hmm. Uh-oh. there has been debate for a number of years about, you know, why doesn't why didn't Lucasfilm ever release the theatrical versions again, and why hasn't Disney done that? Mm. But it is a very recurring thing with George Lucas that he wanted these stories to be told and experienced, however, you know, wh- whatever the last canon state of them yeah, is. Yeah, part of me agrees with that. I mean, the, the film preservationist within me wants to see the original versions, mm-hmm. but I can understand as a creator that you want to keep your works up to date and, you know, as technology improves, maybe go back and add some things into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, some say some shouldn't do that, but... I, I agree with his mm. his uh, his stance on that as well. He's wanting to tell the story as best he can, and you know even when he was making this first you know, these first three movies, um, things were done on a very 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 tight budget, mm-hmm. and it's not surprising that he would walk away thinking, okay, there's something I wish I could have done there, something I wish I could have done there, and for the sake of bringing the viewers into this fantasy world. I have no problem with him going back and making those alterations. And some are more controversial than others. There's the the famous, like, Han shooting first thing, Mm -hmm. which I think in this version, uh, which is one of the... It's the most recent Blu-ray release of these movies, Mm. uh, of this movie specifically, um, where I think we still have a pretty atrocious edit of Han's neck, like, bending out of place (laughs) to dodge Greedo's blaster fire Mm. so that, you know, it it, it looks like Greedo provoked him. But Han did shoot first, Mm -hmm. we know that much, Uh, but that's fine, because that's perfectly within his character to do. But that odd little addition is still in there, Mm And I think in this version, as people have made fun of, they even added some gibberish that Greedo says mm. after the fact. So that that yeah, there one is scene, a reason to shoot a villain. Yeah. yeah, like that one scene has not been left alone in any iteration mm. of this movie. Um, but again, I saw you know these movies in that form the first time on those VHS cassettes, mm-hmm. and that was right in the buildup to episode one coming out in 1999. Mm -hmm. So this was the perfect storm for young Dan to get into these movies because, oh, like, you know, you got these special editions. Every, like, the opening of every VHS cassette, like, hypes up this, like, grand trilogy that's Mm -hmm. being told. And, you know, The Phantom Menace is going to be coming out soon. Eventually it did. Those started releasing on VHS, teasing the next installment. You were like a pig in spaceship. I was. And (laughs) it was really, for me, the perfect time to get into those. Mm. And accordingly, since I was right at that age, I also started to get into the Expanded Universe books. Ah, uh, like Shadows of the Empire, Heir so to the Empire. you do know how to read, then. I do know how to read. That's the point I was going to make. Yeah. 
while young Jonathan was halfway through War and Peace. <laughs> was pulling a Matilda, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was... The, mostly the only thing that could get me to read for fun was the Star Wars books. <laughs> and Slapping Yoda on the cover. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, and, and I... I you know, despite how Jonathan may treat me on yeah. his ivory tower, I was a proficient reader, yeah. but I didn't like reading. Mm. So I, I would, uh, you know, I needed Star Wars shit in order to motivate me to do that. But, mm. you know, to each their own. Yeah. So that's where I kind of, you know, that's how I got into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, around that time, like many people in our age group, we were coming up on the early internet. There were internet databases, there were forums where people were arguing about that this shit even then. And, you know, that's how I came up in this franchise. Mm. And the question would be, mm. what prompted me to finally bring this to the podcast? Indeed. <laughs> well, one, I, I, I did just feel like it. Mm. Originally... Uh, back before we, we had thought to do Good Movie Podcast, yeah. the idea... It was always kicking around. It was always kicking around that eventually, uh, you know, Jonathan would, uh, would give me the green light. <laughs> give you the reins. <laughs> and I would do, like, a month or so at a time of, like, Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. and I would cover them the same way we cover the anime that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with a lot of background production information, blah, 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 and then, you know... Similar to what I did with the Godzilla movies and what you've, you know, done with, with your own favorite movies before Good Movie Podcast. Yes. Um, but I was like, no, like, I just can't. <laughs> no. I just, I don't have it in me to, because yeah. there's so much to talk about. It's a daunting task. And the discourse around Star Wars on the internet does famously suck real bad. What? <laughs> it it really does. And it, it there's always this joke that... You know, Star Wars fans are the ones who hate Star Wars the most. But in my opinion, that's a very cutesy kind of gloss over mm-hmm. as to what goes on with how this franchise is talked about. Yeah. Um, I should clarify, because I've always joked about it on this podcast previously, um, and, and sometimes I've, I've used some clumsy language... Uh, you know, there's a few times where it, it might have sounded like I was dismissing all the movies as crap or something. Mm-hmm. I love every Star Wars movie. Yeah. I sincerely, unabashedly love every Star Wars movie. They're your movie children. That How could out. you choose? Because um, I, I always, there's always like key moments that I always regret saying on this podcast. No. Like when we were, when we were leading up in the lead up to the famous Dial of Destiny. Oh yeah. I was like, oh. We're going to get a set of bad Star Wars movies, then one bad Indiana Jones movie, mm-hmm. and then that's the cycle that we'll go through until the heat death of the sun. Uh-huh. Um, but that was just in terms of, like, public reaction. Yeah. I There is not a bad Star Wars movie, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, you know, my favorites, as I have said before, are the middle installments of each trilogy. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, Attack of the Clones for the prequels, which... Is gonna yeah. be, which is going to be a debate to be had. I'm sure. Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. for this trilogy, and then The Last Jedi for the third. Yeah. But even extraneously, e- even things that weren't my favorite at some point have grown on me significantly. Mm-hmm. You know, The Rise of Skywalker was a clown show. Only saw that one time. We went and saw it. We guffawed. And I haven't seen it again since. But... You know, in the era of COVID movies, I I famously looked back at Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. huddled in the corner, and I'm yeah. like, you know what? Oh God, you're not so bad. Mm-hmm. You 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 
you're not the worst thing a movie can be at this point anymore. Mm-hmm. We forgive you. Yeah, as long as it's a Bruder film is still yeah. in existence, uh, Dan will find something to forgive in the uh, Star Wars franchise. You know, come back to the table. Yeah. And even when they've hit perceived stumbling blocks, like Solo did poorly at the box office, mm-hmm. but... It's still an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's I I always advocate for recasting characters as needed to portray them younger and mm-hmm. you know uh, what is it uh, the you're looking at me like I'll know <laughs> the Shining prequel uh, oh, Doctor, Doctor Sleep. Sleep Doctor Sleep I, I did know that yeah. I always advocate going that yeah, route I strongly that too. yeah um, and I think like Alden Emmerich did a great job as young Han Solo, and that's the route that I wish more movies, you know, franchise pieces like this in general would take. Mm -hmm. So again, always something positive to say about every Star Wars movie, you know, and I am assuring the listeners that that via Good Movie Podcast, not in a row, but we're going to do all of them. We'll space them out. We're we're, we're doing, at some point, someday... We will have done all of them. I think we have our go- own good movie, like, um, you know, strategies in place, our roadmaps we do. for each other. We do. So I, I kind of predicted this might happen. And um, you wouldn't bring them all in a bunch. That's not your style. No. Yeah. Because um, I like the zig and zag. Yeah. But, uh, you know, before we can get to that, we got to start here. I know, at the very beginning. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yes. So before I get into some technical details... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan, yes. what is your relationship with Star Wars? I know, it's finally getting this answer on air, right? We've never yeah. heard my Star Wars backstory. I've always groaned it and smirched it. Yes. And, the, the, and yet I've somehow gone to every viewing. Yes. So the answer may shock you, Dan, but in my, I want to say, late grade school, early high school, before we met, mm-hmm. I was... There was a summer where the only thing I watched were Star Wars movies. Okay. And I think it's because it was like a summer of Star Wars. The atmosphere was heavy with, I don't know, Gungans and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched them because my dad had like this DVD collection that was like golden bust. I'll see if I can find it downstairs for you. Of, like, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I remember really liking the original trilogy, but not understanding what's going on. <laughs> I did not right. have... I did not have the wherewithal back then. I couldn't piece together the plot of this film over three. And I would often find myself, like, falling asleep during, mm-hmm. like, the second half of it and, like, restarting it. I remember watching this one the most mm-hmm. out of all of them, as opposed to the new trilogy, which I, I've i only seen Attack of the Clones multiple times, I think. Okay. So, I, I'm loosey-goosey. I've seen them all in the, the canonical numbered series. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a lot about the books, Mm-hmm. And the spin-offs, Which like Rogue One and, and, and the Disney shows and such. But I am constantly surrounded by avid Star Wars fans in my life. You are. And it's just something that I have not been fully invested in for some reason. Okay. I'm willing to yeah. give everything the college try. I like some elements of this movie. They've just never impacted me as much as the way it has the people around me. Okay, and yeah. that that is perfectly understandable. Yeah. Uh, you did, there was a line in there, you said your dad had a, like, a gold embossed yeah. DVD collection. Yes. Uh, I had a silver embossed DVD collection. I think it collection. was gold and silver. Like, the new ones were gold and the old ones were silver. It, I, I think he had both. It was actually full screen oh, and widescreen. Of course. And I had the full screen oh. DVD set, yeah. and I would assume your dad then had the, the widescreen wide set. Yeah, because we're a cinematic family through and through. It definitely. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that was a, that was a, like, a mid-2000s release that yeah. came out, which so. was a big deal. I think I 
Mm-hmm. I scooted down to to Suncoast Video, mm-hmm. God rest its soul, yeah. to go pick that up when that came out. Yeah. Uh, to start the the physical media mm-hmm. shilling that we still do. To yeah, this so day. it was in grade school, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, glad to return to the series now. Yeah, that my brain has formed, and that's <laughs> another reason why this 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 should be fun today. Because I'm going to be asking you mm. the gotcha questions oh about like how you feel about yes. certain things. Yes. Uh, you know, as we go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, today we're going to do a little bit of an unconventional drawing board. Ah. Uh, he's rolling out, uh, and this is the R5D4 edition. Ah, I see. He's got some droid features with some red plating. He's rolling on out. But he's got a bad motivator, mm. so he's probably not going to last too long. He's not going to give us that many facts today okay. because, uh, you know, he just doesn't need to. But he's got he's some stuff to, to tell us. Yeah. Um, so tons of other podcasts and YouTubers <laughs> and other things like that have gone meticulously into the production of these Star Wars movies mm-hmm. from their inception to when the first one ended up on screen. We do not need to do that here today. Uh, The one thing that I will always shill for, I've shilled for it before, that I advise everyone to watch is Empire of Dreams. I I don't know anything about this. It is currently available on YouTube for free, Mm -hmm. and it's also up on Disney+, Plus. I believe. I don't know if there's any visual differences between it there, but uh, I believe it was made for ABC uh, at some point in the might have been the late 90s or the early 2000s. Uh, it was included in those DVD sets. Mm-hmm. I never got to the special features. Um, but it's an excellent documentary that goes into the production headaches of the original Star Wars trilogy because mm. there is a lot of story there. And, and the, you know, the things that always interested me as a kid were how the story developed, um, but certain, you know, film buff people might be more interested in the technical side of things, like how they had to pull this off on a very limited budget, uh, you know, because that that is a, a major discussion around, especially this first movie, mm-hmm. because it, it, pe- different people criticize different things, but generally the special effects are amazing for their time Mm -hmm. and it's kind of one of those things where you know when it was coming out people were like okay if the budget ratio was kind of slacking in this one department Mm -hmm. anything left over went to these special effects Mm -hmm. and pulling this off um and this is like frank oz and stuff for like the practicals too right yes yeah uh, you know the lot lots of people at ilm Mm -hmm. you get to see some of the model work that was done uh, that's a discussion that we'll also have when I bring the Star Trek movies oh boy. also. Yeah, I know even less about Star Trek. Well, it's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so very, very interesting stuff. Uh, and I think through other assorted, you know, official Lucasfilm documentaries that are out and about somewhere, you can kind of see where the story came from. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, you know, that's always the stuff that I look for, like the early, like, Ralph McQuarrie artwork where he's making concept art for everything that kind of tracks with George Lucas's original story treatments for this. Uh, one of the things Young Me was always inspired by was George Lucas talking about his story ideas for this original trilogy and what would end up being the prequels. And it's just, he filled up a bunch of yellow legal pads. Mm. And that has always been, like, a awesome visual to me to just 
have a story come to you like that, mm-hmm. fill up these notebooks, and just make it happen. Mm. Um, and it was a process to make it happen because the idea was first conceived in 1971, and it did not enter production until 1976. Uh, and only then, because 20th Century Fox happened to take a chance on this movie being a, a success, mm-hmm. and finally investing in it after numerous studios had passed on it. Mm. So, again, do check out that documentary. You know, there's there's tons of stuff all over the place looking into that to kind of show how the story developed and how we got the final version that we have now. I believe somewhere out there there is a comic book series called The Star Wars, which mm. is um, it's based on the original General Luke Starkiller version of the story that Lucas was planning, uh, you know, which is a lot... It goes a lot harder in referencing the old-timey sci-fi serials like Buck Rogers and stuff like mm-hmm. that because the, the the Emperor is clearly there as a villain. They're, you know, they're fighting in an Imperial court. There's intrigue going on and things like that, and it's very much more in line with, with that kind of, of tale. Um, but... Uh, you know, one of the reasons I rolled up the drawing board is to connect this movie to future mm-hmm. good movie podcasts slash anime was not a mistake viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a well-known fact that episode four was heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa's 1958 film The Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. And that movie will definitely be coming to the podcast either in GMP or in our animaster piece, and one of the Kurosawa's I have yet to see. So, so yeah, probably even I'll more la- so. I'll lay off a on reason. that one then. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, a few direct parallels here. The Hidden Fortress was notable for being told from the perspective of two bickering peasants, mm-hmm. which was quite a big deal for the Jedi Geki genre, mm-hmm. which was the samurai films, and you know, because usually they would be told. Right from the get-go, from the perspective of this noble, heroic yeah. samurai protagonist. Mm-hmm. And the Hidden Fortress instead starts with two these two bickering peasants. Yeah, it's these... like Rashomon. It's like, you know, the yeah. narrator, you know, fidelity, do we trust them or not? Exactly. Who do we believe? Yeah. It's like, they're not very trustworthy protagonists or narrators or, mm-hmm. or point-of-view characters here. Uh, but they are the regular people impacted by this ongoing war between two lords. And they end up kind of tripping into the plot of the the, the larger movie, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, uh, an aged samurai general leading his princess, uh, you know, they're part of a fallen household, and he has to lead her through enemy territory safely into a quote-unquote, you know, whether you want to call him a rebel lord Mm -hmm. or a lord who opposes the conquering force uh, to get her to safety so that she can start leading her people from there. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, lots and lots of elements that, uh, you know, inspire this movie. There is even a line in this film itself where one of the Imperial officers is about to say, we're looking for the Rebels' hidden fortress. Mm. And ah. right before he gets it out, Vader chokes him. Mm. So it's a little, little tongue-in-cheek there. And quite famously, Toshiro Mifune, the mm-hmm. star of The Hidden Fortress and many other Kurosawa mm-hmm. films, was offered, or courted, we should say, the chance to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Because right from the get-go, uh, once it was decided that, uh, you know, because in the original story treatments for what would become Star Wars, 
the char- the main character, there was no Luke Skywalker. Mm. There was this aged general, once again, something star killer. Yeah. Who would be the main protagonist? Because it was just going to be a very direct hidden fortress mm-hmm. parallel. Yeah. Uh, eventually, that kind of changed. We would get the farm boy we know and love being guided by an older general mm-hmm. figure. So Toshiro Mifune was offered that role. I, various sources yeah. say he was like, no, yeah. not Which, doing it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see that because I do love the man's work, but, yeah. but, you know, it wasn't meant to be. But I can get what they were trying to go for. And then, I, I guess, after the talks for that part fell through, they also offered him the part of Darth Vader, mm-hmm. which I think was kind of like a, like a you know, because Lucas really wanted him to be involved in this movie. Uh, and he's like, okay, if you if you show up and you do stuff for Darth Vader, you won't have to be in the suit all the time mm-hmm. because you know he's he's a he's a masked warrior. You don't have to, you know, you it, it's less of a commitment. But even that wasn't enough to get Mifune to agree to mm-hmm. it. So he was sadly not involved in this. Um, the film is also very much a homage to older science fiction serials such as Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. And the connective thread there. We already watched Indiana Jones. Uh, we will be watching more Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Those were throwbacks to old-time adventure serials, and this is very much channeling old sci-fi serials. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the idea first started kicking around in George Lucas's head as a Buck Rogers movie, but getting the rights to do that, similar to the, the Dick Tracy rights battle, mm-hmm. was not easy, so it just turned into an original story. Um, even so, Star Wars is more so often described as a space opera or a space fantasy instead of being straight science fiction. It's set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're not concerned with Earth, mm-hmm. and we're really not concerned with the technology. Uh, everything is at the service of the story and the mythos that's playing out here. Kind of like G Gundam. We're not mm-hmm. worried about how anything works. Yeah. It just gets our characters where they need to be. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard sci-fi. Yeah. It is very much fantasy, but in space. Um, also, a little bit of speculation, because uh, I didn't want to report this to the, to the listeners without finding concrete evidence for it, which I couldn't. Um, but there is a lot of speculation that Star Wars, as well as Battlestar Galactica took a lot of visual inspiration from the groundbreaking anime series Space Battleship Yamato, Mm -hmm. which we will watch someday on this podcast because it is a huge deal Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of this genre. And Space Battleship Yamato, I think, originally started airing in the early 70s, and it would have entered reruns about, like, 1974 to 75. Mm -hmm. And there's speculation... Again, pure speculation that perhaps in one of, like, an overseas movie trip or something like that, George Lucas would have been in Japan mm-hmm. right around the time that Space Battleship Yamato was was airing in reruns and had become a huge cultural thing over there. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, when a lot of people stumble across uh, Yamato for the first time, they think, oh, this must be aping off Star Wars, because mm-hmm. visually it's... It's two fleets battling in space. Mm-hmm. One is an empire with Nazi-esque themes, and the other one is a, a heroic rebel UN-type force. Yeah. force. And like, oh, this has to be ripping off mm-hmm. Star Wars. But no, Space Battleship Yamato came first People by a number of from years. from anime? Um, <laughs> but then, obviously, uh, you know, 
Star Wars would go on to influence plenty of anime in its own right. We got a lot of stuff that happens in Gundam, mm -hmm. for example. Char is is like a big, you know, he's he's a take on like that Vader masked character that that kind of comes up. Uh, so I think it's been influential to a lot of the series that we have watched already. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's some of the video games, too. Yeah. Persona loves to reference it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's there. And, of course, there's speculation that the opening world of Tatooine might be might have been influenced by Dune. Mm. So that's something close to your heart. The desert planet of Arrakis, yes. <laughs> so, no, that is the only thing that I wheeled the drawing board out for. All right. His circuits are fried. Yeah. We're going to buy a different droid instead of him oh, but for I like today. this one. Yeah. Uh, but he's rolling back into the uh, the Jawa's sand crawler. Okay. Um, so we're going to get in and watch the movie now. Mm -hmm. uh, when we come back, I will prep some questions as we go through the plot as, you know, to get your opinion mm -hmm. on certain things. But other than that, it's going to be a very loose, freewheeling discussion. Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, I have to ask, are, are you ready to take your first steps into a much larger world? I don't know. <laughs> Little fish, big pond. <laughs> All I've got on my side is the Schwartz. Oh, mm, yeah. someday too. Saw that more than Star Wars. But hopefully you're not a gooberfish. No. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And we are back, everyone, having just watched Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, here on Good Movie Podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, any initial thoughts? Because again, this was you—you you have seen this movie before, yeah, but yeah. this was this was the first, uh, you know, viewing, viewing where your eyes say, yeah. are open to yeah, everything. So yeah, it's a good movie. I can mm. understand why people developed a fan base over this. I do think it's a little bit simple, but it is the first one mm -hmm. that we were exposed to. It runs a little bit longer, or it feels a little bit longer, even though it's only two hours. It is, yeah. So, I don't know. I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Very good. Star Wars viewing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, everyone knows the story of Star Wars, uh, but I will, you know, I'll walk us through the plot. Yes. Just because that's tradition. Um, but I'll try to bring up trivia where and when I can, mm -hmm. and I will be asking some questions ah. about how everything proceeds. And yes. I did promise... Uh, that this was going to be a somewhat anime-themed romp, so uh, keep that in mind mm. as we kind of advance through, uh, you know, those plot beats. Okay. Because uh, that's what we'll be focusing on. Um, so, we, you know, we open on the iconic Star Wars opening title crawl, yeah, yeah. informing us about the state of the galaxy mm -hmm. far, far away. Interesting opening. I'm surprised that American audiences had the audacity to read, like, three short paragraphs yeah. before... I mean, they're kind of forced to. It starts with that John Williams score, though, which mm -hmm. immediately like wakes you up and draws you in. So, it does. You know why do why not do a little light reading before and, your movie? And it's no big deal to us today, but it must always be restated that George Lucas ran into a lot of pushback and yeah. controversy for not having any opening credits. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted the audience to start immersed in this fictional world mm -hmm. with no you know, production logos beyond 20th Century Fox and Lucasfilm, mm -hmm. and it goes right into that opening title crawl, and the fight over not having opening credits was so severe mm. that George Lucas actually backed out of the Director's Guild, and that would create a lot of stress factors 
when he went in to direct well when he went in to make Empire and Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. Yeah. He did not direct those two because the process of doing this one was so stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, oh boy, I'm, I'm blanking on their name, but the uh, you know Richard Marican for Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and then Irvin Kershner for Empire Strikes Back. I didn't know he didn't direct them. No, he did not. Oh, uh, but I reversed it. Yeah, Kershner was Empire, and then uh, Richard Marican was was Return of the Jedi. But they were also not like Directors Guild people. They mm-hmm. were kind of like you know favors that that George Lucas had to call in mm-hmm. he couldn't turn to people like Spielberg or anyone else because it was just you know it was a daunting task and there was still a lot of bad blood between him mm. and the directors guild yeah interesting um, though because you know that was the time for the opening credits but we're long since past that now yeah um, movies can have them or can't have them yeah but, you know it's just interesting that he just got so much pushback at that time no, and, and it, it's one of those things where it might not even factor, you know, into our minds today. But, you know, back then when you sat down to watch a movie, you know, you would have, like, the the 10-minute orchestrated... Yeah, the overture. Yeah, yeah just classic, going into yeah. it. Um, but this does give the same vibes as that. It does. it sets the mood, you know, it gives that. But it doesn't break your immersion by reminding you that it's a movie. Yes. Um, so... Iconic opening crawl, state of the galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Empire is in control of things, the Galactic Empire, and they are facing off against a band of rebels who have just scored a victory prior mm-hmm. to this movie, uh, which we later see in Rogue One, that we will get to someday. Uh, but the rebels have intercepted plans for uh, the Empire's new secret battle station, the Death Star. And given them to Princess Leia. And who is uh, escaping on her way to reconvene with her father and the rest of the Rebels on Alderaan. Uh, But she is currently being pursued uh, doggedly Mm -hmm. by an Imperial Star Destroyer. And that is where we open an iconic opening scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think when people talk about this movie who were there in theaters, they always describe, like... This is one of those things where, like, the you know the train is gonna come out of the screen yeah. and hit you in the in the theater. It it just blew people away. Popcorn in the air because we we open from a camera perspective underneath the two ships. The the Tantive uh, Four, the the Rebel blockade runner, mm-hmm. goes first. It's shooting backwards, and then this gigantic angular Imperial Star Destroyer follows it, and we have. A first, you know, our first battle in space. And the fan base would never complain about slow-moving space chases. Certainly again. not. Mm-mm. Certainly not. No. Never, never again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we kind of peek into this blockade runner and we first meet C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah, our insert characters. Uh, they are, you know, uh, very Dan and Jonathan coded. <laughs> They're bickering with each other. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, we're not going to, you know, our 3 po is, you know, confident that they're not going to get away this time, they're in trouble, Uh, the Empire surely has them now. Mm -hmm. Um, But R2-D2 is focused on his own thing. Taking no shits. Taking no shits. (laughs) Uh, They uh, they dodge blaster fire comically at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But R2-D2 is determined to go meet with Princess Leia, who is hiding somewhere else on this ship. Uh, But the blockade runner is boarded, as it's taken in by a tractor beam into the, like, holding bay of the Star Destroyer. And we get another iconic scene in which, you know, the rebels are grouped with their guns trained on this doorway. The doorway is sliced away, and Imperial Stormtroopers emerge from the smoke for the first time and start, you know, a a firefight begins. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know when this this goes on for a little bit we see that leia is hiding mm-hmm. uh, some she's giving something to yeah, r2d2 something to r2 uh, and, Old you know, floppy disk. Entrusting him with this mission. Here's my copy of Leisure Shoot Larry. Just take it with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be pulled off the ROM market Make soon. Make sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so so R2-D2 is given his little quest, as it, as it were. Mm-hmm. And another iconic shot from the smoke in the previous scene, Darth Vader... The heavy in this movie, mm-hmm. and it's some we don't we don't know a whole lot about what he is no. d- doing in, in this movie. You know, position wise, he is he makes a lot of vague statements. Yeah, he is he is a black knight. He is a enforcer. He is the heavy yeah. for the big bad. But we don't know anything about where he officially stands. It in just this. makes me think, like when you have this story, how much did you know and at what point? Yeah, because you know. They do their best to tie up some loose ends, but... They do. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where, at the very least, this part was was kind of foundational, because there exists, you know, Ralph McQuarrie artwork of, you know, Darth Vader and Luke kind of fighting each other in, the, you know, the vacuum mm-hmm. of space, or like an airlock area on a spaceship. Mm. Uh, so, seemingly... The first visual prompt that got the designs for the stormtroopers and Vader going was spacesuits. Yeah. Like the, these, these individuals need to be able to go into the vacuum of space and survive briefly. Now, obviously, that did not end up being the case for the stormtroopers, mm-hmm. who ended up gaining a very skeleton-like mm-hmm. armor appearance. Uh, and their helmets, to our knowledge, they filter smoke. They don't, they don't enable you to breathe anywhere special. Yeah. Uh, but Darth Vader, obviously went in a whole other direction where, uh, you know, no mention of it is made in this movie, but, uh, you know, aside from the fact that he's now a a mechanical man, uh, or seemingly is, Mm. uh, that ends up being his life support system. He needs that suit to survive, but all of it visually harkens back to this original spacesuit design. Mm. Um, And it probably would have, you know, it probably would have ended up being similar to the... uh, like those water devices in Dune, yeah. where characters would have just kind of had these, you know, like space breathing devices mm-hmm. on hand. Yeah. But obviously that didn't end up being the case. We don't really, you know, care about that so much here. Um, but that that does lead to the first character prompt here. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Darth Vader in uh, this movie? I always thought he was interesting. I don't find him as intimidating mm-hmm. as I think, you know, once you know his whole backstory, maybe he gets a little bit more so. Mm-hmm. I also don't think I knew exactly what the Galactic Federation did wrong until they blew up a planet. <laughs> oh, the Galactic Empire? Or, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. They, they... I never really knew as a kid why they were fighting so much. Yeah, they they are kind of just assholes, in this, so we don't know the context of what's mm-hmm. going on, um, but uh, you know, obviously, when they start committing massive yes. war crimes, then, that's when then it starts. Something seemed off to me. Uh, but it, it certainly, I, I think, the word empire in and of itself kind of conjures, especially for space serials like this. It would have been like, okay, there's some kind of some kind of conquering force, and they got these scary dudes yeah. working for them. So yeah. maybe I was we'll just definitely more afraid of the. Um, the possibility of a planet being destroyed instantly. Yes. That uh, that scared me more than Darth Vader. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things, obviously, that aren't finalized about Darth Vader here. We only get bits and pieces of, of a potential backstory for him. And 
you know, it's it's been noted humor, not that it throws him off or anything, but there's a lot of elements on his suit that aren't quite perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, his helmet, I think, is kind of lopsided. He has, like, red lenses in the helmet yeah. instead of black It looks weird at times. Ones. They're still working on the design. Uh, like, occasionally his belt and his other fixtures are, are, like, off place, or they, you know, they wobbled while they were filming something. Uh, you know, so it, it it's... Still... He serves his purpose. He is the heavy here, masterfully voiced by James, James Earl, Earl Jones. Jones. Yep. Uh, and then uh, David Prowse was in the suit, mm. a rather towering individual. Uh, so that that is the purpose that he serves. He is he is the enforcer here. Um, so then uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 uh, kind of sneak aboard an escape pod, mm-hmm. and they manage to, you know, escape from the ship, and famously the... Imperials don't shoot the escape pod down because there's no sign of life on board. Yeah, you were telling me droids as second-class citizens is what this is going for. Yeah, seemingly. It it becomes a recurring thing. Obviously, when this movie was being written, it was just droids are second-class citizens, and then if you want to bring in the Clone Wars stuff, it's like droids, you know, we're just the enemy in a war, so maybe people are even more pissed about them now, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's uh, up to interpretation. Uh, Leia is briefly interrogated by Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're not an ambassador, you're not anything, you're a traitor. Don't touch me, I'm a politician! Yes, she she claims to be a, you know... uh, An ambassador. And she is a senator for the Imperial Senate, but Mm -hmm. this is not a goodwill mission, this is not business as usual. Uh, Darth Vader, you know, declares her a traitor and has her taken away. This prisoner. would be me. You don't want to hurt me. I'm just a figurehead. <laughs> uh, but with little, you know, bits and pieces of, of quick dialogue yeah. to show what's going on here, seemingly... Like, Darth Vader, I thought I smelt your stinky butt over here. <laughs> yeah, Leia gets in a few lines like that, and then I think Darth Vader gets in a line like, okay, the senators would be pretty pissed if they found out about this, so... Mm scuttle the ship, kill the crew, and just say that there was, like, some kind of, like, you know, accident or run-in with them that that caused their deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, we're not going to let this news get out if we can help it. Yeah. Um, so then we, uh, you know, R2 and C-3PO land on Tatooine, mm-hmm. this desert, desert planet. planet, a mm-hmm. desolate desert planet. Yeah. Um, they, they immediately butt heads. R2 mm-hmm. decides to go one way, 3PO goes another. Yep. Uh, 3PO is, uh, you know, uh, absconded by someone, he, mm-hmm. he, he waves them down, and we don't see what happens, but he was taken by the Jawas, mm-hmm. uh, and R2 is also quickly attacked and kidnapped by the Jawas. Too scary for me. Who are little, uh, hooded dudes who specialize in gathering scrap and reselling electronics at exorbitant prices mm-hmm. in their sandcrawler, uh, vehicles. That is their whole business. That is what they do. Um, but, you know, things are looking bleak for R2 and 3PO. Yeah. They are reunited aboard the Sandcrawler, but obviously they're now kept under restraining bolts, mm-hmm. and they're just going to be sold off. I didn't remember all the droid, droid work we got in this film. Lots like, of puppets. They truly our narrators. Yeah. Or, I mean, like, I mean, C-3PO and oh, R2 okay. in general. Yeah. We see a lot of them, and they kind of carry the plot forward. They do, yeah. yeah. And that's it, it ties back to the Hidden Fortress. Uh, but they, you know remain consistently I don't know there's just they are in my opinion they've always been comic relief characters done right the 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 best way possible mm. they are 
you would feel terrible if something happened yeah. to either of them. Mm-hmm. They are that trope done, I, I would say, to perfection, mm. almost. Um, so, uh, you know, at this point, uh, we are wondering what's going to happen to the droids, and we see that, uh, you know, we open on this moisture farm mm-hmm. in the middle of, uh, you know, Tatooine's, you know, expansive desert, and uh, there's a farm boy there, yeah. Luke Skywalker, mm. and Dan Lightrunner. He is uh, his uncle Owen, mm-hmm. who is a moisture farmer, uh, and his aunt Peru is there. She's requesting that they they buy a droid that can speak bocce, which is not the game that old Italian men play. No. It's a language yeah. here. Um, but Owen is an old grizzled farmer who, you know, needs more droids to help with the manual labor around, mm. you know, the, the farm and also to interface with the computer systems on the moisture evaporators. Cause mm. that's what they do. They're all about like Dune harvesting moisture. Yeah. So, uh, the Jawas bring out their, their stock and Owen picks, uh, C-3PO because he has the best, like, language database. And at first, he picks, uh, you know, R5, the little red guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he quickly breaks down, because his motivator is fried, and R2-D2, by luck, (laughs) is, you know, chosen instead. Yeah, I thought C-3PO would fight a little bit more for R2-D2, but he's like, well, I guess I have to now. Well, yeah, Yeah. because 3PO is very by the books, Mm -hmm. like, well, guess this is my lot now, (laughs) so, so be it. Um, you know, but Luke is, is put in charge of, you know, cleaning the two droids off and getting them ready for work. Uh, and in the process of cleaning R2, he activates Leia's holographic message. The famous, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are my only hope. Mm -hmm. Um, and Luke, being a curious and very bored farm boy, wants to know more. It sounds like a princess is in trouble. She might need our help. Like, like, what, what do we do? Mm. Um, but R two insists that he pretends to to have forgotten what the message is. He mm-hmm. pretends that he's having YouTube playback issues uh, because of the restraining bolt that keeps them, you know, presumably in the property. Mm. Uh, so Luke takes it off, but R two is like, "Whoops, <laughs> message is gone. Nothing I can do." Mm-hmm. You know, but thanks for taking that thing off. Um, and you know, we we get a little bit more about Luke kind of musing about his future. Yeah. He famously... doesn't want to be there, wants to go to the Academy. He wants to go to the Academy. He, you know, uh, his friends have already gone to the Imperial Academy to become pilots. That is his dream as well. Mm. But Uncle Owen is kind of, like, insisting that he stick around for another season to help with the farming. You say that every season. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of, uh... His, he has that, you know, argument with, with his aunt and uncle, and we get the famous binary star theme where he goes up, yeah. he looks at the twins setting suns, and he's pondering what his future holds. Yeah. Meet me in space Paris. Yeah, so, what do you think of Luke Skywalker? I like him. He's relatable. Mm-hmm. He's innocent. He's a young ingenue. Mm-hmm. Could have been the guy from Carrie. Mm-hmm. You know, same time, same thing. He's, he's, a, he's a happy-go-lucky fella. He is. He hasn't had anything bad about him. He's a little too naive at times, but he's young. He is yeah. a good protagonist. He is Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker. Like, I, I I don't need to state my, my love for Luke Skywalker. I, that should be yeah. obvious. He's he good, is, but not annoying. Yes. He is, I don't know, one of my fave movie heroes growing up, mm. and remains so. Um... 
he in this movie he is just as he should be. He is very like naive kind of, and he can be a little whiny and snarky, mm-hmm. but that tracks with how his character develops not only throughout this story, but you know throughout the rest of the trilogy mm. and, and unlike that Avatar series coming up we're going to let our characters have flaws oh boy. so that we can tell a story because <laughs> that's what we're doing here yeah um, but uh, you know the next morning unfortunately R2 has escaped in the night <laughs> has scuttled off uh, 3PO insists that uh, you know R2 must have blown a gasket he keeps rambling about having to fulfill his important mission mm-hmm. uh, so he has wandered off into the desert by himself to go find this Obi-Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. uh, who Luke is mildly aware of because an old hermit named Ben Kenobi that old sand wizard lives out there old wizard lives out you know in the in the mountains uh, so maybe the two of them are related mm. uh, so Luke you know pursues them and while this is going on uh, you know after factoring in the escape pod and everything else Darth Vader did send uh, you know a squadron of stormtroopers down to Tatooine to start searching for the plans because mm-hmm. they they need to get those back. And they need to wipe out any trace of them having existed. Um, so, uh, you know, Luke follows R2 and finds him in this little canyon. Uh, and Luke, uh, R2 is still insisting that he must find Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like a matter of life and death. And they are then attacked by Tusken Raiders, a.k.a. Sand People, mm. uh, who are you know, uh, kind of masked, bandaged aliens who live within Tatooine's desert, Mm -hmm. and they are a constant presence on this planet, but we do not get any more development for them for a long time. Uh, Probably in Expanded Universe stuff, there's there's things out there about them, but then it wasn't until, like, the Book of Boba Fett that we actually took any time to chill with them in a live-action setting. And learn about their culture. So, uh, you know, they're attacked, uh, Luke is at, knocked unconscious at first, R2 is, is you know, forced to go hide in a little cave, and 3PO has his arm ripped, ripped off, off. Yeah. Um, but Obi-Wan Kenobi arrives, and gives a scary old man noise, makes a, uh, in most interpretations, this is a, the roar of a crate dragon, uh-huh. is the, uh, a predator that would be found, a very dangerous predator that would have been found in the Tatooine Desert, mm. And that is supposed to be the sound that he is recreating using the Force. Mm. And that sound has changed frequently, Mm. you know, between edits of this movie. So Mm. I think in the original, it was just like a scary hollering noise, and then it was something else, and they finally settled on this version. Um, So, you know... uh, Ben Kenobi quickly reveals that he is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Why, that's me. Uh, and he's playing very coy about things. He's like, oh, I don't remember ever owning a droid, but mm-hmm. who knows? And, you know, for safety purposes, he decides to bring Luke back to his, uh, you know, desert hut to discuss things further. Because mm-hmm. they have a lot to talk about. Um, and just as a quick... Aside here, because mm-hmm. uh, again, we're framing this in terms of how we've watched anime. We we recently started, you know, Soul Eater. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we got this 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 part of the movie comprises the intro arc. Yeah. We got we got the first problem, our first confrontation, the things going down. We're starting to get introduced to our cast. We got our hero, we got the princess, we got the heavy, mm-hmm. and we got the old mentor figure who is is stepping in to try to uh, you know teach our hero stuff about the world. Um, and I should note that in terms of uh, of, of cut content, there was more on Tatooine here. There was quite famously a a whole deleted scene where Luke is hanging out with his ruffian friends at, like, Tashi Station, and uh, Biggs Darklighter, his Mm -hmm. mustachioed, very, very 70s-looking friend... Mm -hmm is there, and he's like, uh, you know, uh, I'm graduating from the academy, and I've, I've, you know, linked up with some people who are looking to change things politically. And he's like, Luke, you better stick around here, or else you're gonna get yourself into trouble. And it's this whole thing where a bunch of teens look up, they see the, you know, the Imperial Star Destroyer taking down the Tantive, you know, the, the Rebel Blockade Runner, and that was kind of our, uh, you know original introduction to like one of our luke's goal luke's goal scenes there was also i think more to do with obi-wan kenobi kind of finding the droids first but they kind of factored in that luke wouldn't have been introduced until like 20 minutes into the movie Mm -hmm. so they cut some of that to get luke's arc front and center Mm -hmm. for for that part um but uh in Obi-Wan's hut. Obi-Wan finally explains more about Luke's father, who we've had mentioned before. According to Owen, he was a spice freighter who uh, died in a in some kind of ship accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Obi-Wan reveals that, no, uh, your father was a Jedi Knight like myself, uh, and he died at the hands of Darth Vader. This, this apprentice of mine who mm-hmm. went rogue and aided the Empire in in hunting down and destroying the Jedi. And, again, very, very scant exposition. Mm-hmm. Like, things are referenced that we don't get any more... We, we didn't get any more explanation of at the time. But we know the fact that there was an Order of Jedi Knights. They were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic uh, before the Empire rose, and that Darth Vader assisted them in wiping out the Jedi. Mm. And to me, that is like a perfect setup right there. Mm-hmm. There is not too much thrown at you. There is so much mystery left intact as to what that means. The Clone Wars are referenced. We don't know what they are. <laughs> it's just a science fiction-y sounding event that happened in the past that the Jedi, something pivotal happened to them. And that's all we need. And... One of my favorite things, uh, and this is something that I will do my best to unpack in excruciating detail when we get to the prequels, mm-hmm. uh, it's something that I wish the prequels had maintained slightly better, mm. is this mystique of what the Jedi yeah, don't were back in the day. Um, but uh, most importantly, Obi-Wan hands Luke his father's lightsaber, yeah. which is apparently uh, a keepsake that... Luke's father would have wanted him to have, and this is the weapon of a Jedi, a, a civilized and elegant device that is, uh, you know, uh, superior to a blaster, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's the light. What do you think of the lightsabers? It's an interesting weapon. It's a sword made of light, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. I was always scared of it. It can cut through things. 
Yeah, so you don't. Normal. You don't want to look down the barrel of it yeah. and then uh, you accidentally know, poke my eye out, or the emitter, I should say. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but there is always important stuff to emphasize here with like the the, the Jedi Geki like inspiration mm-hmm. because um, there's so much world building that's been done behind the scenes with how lightsabers operate and it's never explained in any of the movies but lightsabers do have a sharp edge and a blunt edge because mm-hmm. they are they are not a beam of light they are an arc of plasma mm-hmm. sort of like a chainsaw that goes up from the hilt and then back down into it so it is very much like a katana yeah. in that sense and that it's not you know in this movie at least mm-hmm. because we we usually see obi-wan use it he, the first time he takes it out in the canteen a little bit, he, like, unsheathes it like a katana, mm-hmm. one quick slash to take the people out, and that's it. So it's, it's a, it, it, it is an elegant weapon, and you have to be trained to use it. You have to kind of understand how, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be careful with it, because it might, you know, I, I think there's, there's cases where it could hit off of something, and it'll be like a blunted glance, mm. Uh, because you didn't hit the edge properly, so it it goes into this whole thing about the you know that samurai theming. It's it's like anyone can pick it up and wield it, but to to get really good with it, you obviously have to you know train, have some kind of discipline, mm-hmm. and you got to have a force connection to to uh, properly wield it one hundred percent. Well, to varying degrees, but we will we will get into that as the series kind of evolves. But that's that is what we know based on this movie by itself. Uh, so, uh, Leia has been brought aboard the Death Star as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. They are torturing her for information. Yeah, with TortureBot. With TortureBot, his <laughs> little ball with yeah. syringes. Many sharp things on it. Um, and it is in uh, the Death Star conference room that we, <laughs> we get some more exposition mm-hmm. stating that the Imperial Senate has been dissolved. And this, again, it's a passing reference, it's a background event, but it is critical for what's going on in the history of the galaxy here, because there's no more democracy. Mm-hmm. The, every system's going to answer to a governor who is going to be taking direct orders from the Empire. Democracy is dead. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's been dying for a while, and this was like, the Emperor had been keeping the Senate around for, you know... Uh, keep up appearances, Mm -hmm. but no more pretense. The governors will control things through the Emperor, and the Death Star will keep everyone in line, because once we demonstrate the power of this this battle station, no one's going to defy us. So we're going to rule through fear, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Admiral Mahdi, who I looked up his name, because you asked... (laughs) Said you must know every one of these characters' names. I and I I forgotten his, uh, but he is uh, he he has the nuts to uh, yeah. stand up to Vader. He's like, "Fuck your stupid I force! I don't care about I don't know that." If I would do that. It's not a good idea, yeah. uh, especially since it's not an ancient religion. It's just because there were Jedi like fifteen years prior to mm-hmm. this, but it was like. Uh, but for the purposes of this movie, the Jedi are mostly all gone. So at the time that this was written, it was an ancient, defunct religion. Uh, and Darth Vader force chokes him. Yeah. And, uh, he's only stopped because, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, the, you know, the real big bad of this movie, 
played to perfection by Peter Cushing, tells him to back off and stop it. Um, what do you think of him? I enjoyed him. He, he's like the older... He seems, you know, not as intimidating, mm-hmm. but like a political uh, enemy yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, like like Darth Vader's daddy. Yeah, and and as like the two of them have a very interesting dynamic mm-hmm. of you know sort of like a like a like a general leading, uh, you know, a knight mm-hmm. in some capacity. But as I was explaining to you when we were watching, Peter Cushing fucking loved this part. Mm-hmm. He was so excited to do it. He always spoke highly of it years after the fact. Um, and he was just in general an awesome dude. I think there's like interviews that people did with him. And like us, he collected figures, uh, but his figures were like old-timey metal, like knights and stuff. Yeah. And he was like, "Check out this extensive collection of." Th-. And like, he was like touring his house. Yeah. Um, a very specific hobby. And notably, he was always uh, he was usually filmed from you know the waist up because the boots for the imperial officer costume hurt his feet, so he was mostly standing around in fuzzy <laughs> slippers. Uh, so that's a little fun fact, but he did love this part, and he sincerely wished that Tarkin had not died here so that he could come back and do it again Mm. in a sequel. Um, And that is contrasted with uh, the kind of the public perception of how Alec Guinness Mm -hmm. felt about these movies, uh, because Alec Guinness was a a classically trained (laughs) Jonathan actor of stage and screen Uh prior to this. Uh, And... Book this chicken shit gig. There is... uh, There's lots of... Also, funny interviews of him talking about this, where he's like, uh, "Well, I uh, flipped through the script, and the it was a it was some sort of science fiction thing, and the dialogue was shit. It was shit. It was very, it was very, uh, you know, aerobic, and, and I just Pedantic. it was crap. And I, mm-hmm. I, but of course, I had to keep turning the page, yes, and yes. then I called and said, "Sure, I'll do it." Mm-hmm. And he obviously comes back for the, the two sequels as a as a force ghost. Yeah. Um, but I think the, it's never, like, seething hatred for Star Wars. He was just upset that it overshadowed... The rest of his career. The the Jonathan things that he had done in his career. The more serious acting parts that he had amassed up until this point. Mm -hmm. And it was generally agreed by the cast and crew, as they were making this movie, that the dialogue needed a lot of work. Mm -hmm. That it was kind of... You know, they were kind of, they had to, as actors, make changes on the fly sometime, because what, whatever you think of George Lucas, he had trouble writing dialogue. realistic-sounding dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads into all these other debates about, you know, how much did editing save this movie? Not as much as people think. Mm. The only the only points where editing kind of saved this are, are arguably cutting the bigs part so that we kind of just get to know Luke better by mm-hmm. himself and other things to, to kind of space out the time and pacing. But it, it was this, this first movie, very much a group effort to make this happen the way that it did. Um, and visually, I just must say that, that this film, in my opinion, still holds up. It's got like a, it, it it doesn't look like an old timey sci fi movie. It looks like Star Wars. It has this the the Z rust quality to it. Mm-hmm. Is what's the used future look where these ships and the and the droids and the locations look lived in, and they look used. And it's uh, it just still I, I think holds up very well. 
Yeah, all part of me considered. wants to see that older version, though. You know, of course, the, the CGI stuff. It would definitely be an interesting movie-going experience to to finally check that out. Um, but uh, y- you know, uh, the the droids uh, or in their search for the droids, the uh, Imperial stormtroopers, uh, you know, killed the Jawas, yeah. massacred them, yeah, and then led <laughs> that led them back to Aunt oh, uh, Aunt. Uncle uh, Owen, Uncle Owen, and, and Aunt Beru. Yeah. Oh boy, take a drink. Mm. Um, and, and they have been killed. They're massacred, Raiders of the Lost Ark style. The skin stripped from their bones. Nothing left but skeletons. Yeah. They have been killed by flamethrowers. And as is often discussed uh, mm. in this movie, uh, you know, the Empire is an imperialistic force, probably paralleling America in the Vietnam War, mm. and. If anything was frequently used during the Vietnam War, it was it was flamethrowers. Mm. So that's probably where that imagery comes to mind. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, with with his his only family on the planet dead, yeah. Luke does resolve to go with Obi Wan on this quest and become a Jedi himself. And Obi Wan is agreeable to yeah. this because sure, why not? Yeah. So I mean, and we will see in the future movies you know, that this was probably the greater plan that Obi-Wan was working towards. But, uh, you know, Uncle Owen had kept him away because he didn't want Luke to end up like his father, mm-hmm. whatever whatever that means. Hmm. Um, so uh, they go to Mos Eisley, uh, a, a wretched hive of scum and villainy where street toughs <laughs> gather and hang out. But it is also a good place to find uh, a pilot. Two can get you off planet. And uh, the Mos Eisley in this scene, because this was post-special edition, is filled with a yeah. bunch of CGI critters and mm-hmm. creatures. Just, you know, the the uh, the original footage of the cast inside Luke's Scooty Puff speeder are kind of uh, matted over or layered over this new CGI backdrop where Jawas are fighting with yeah. big lizard creatures and there's just a lot more business going on in the background and we kind of we kind of get more CGI wide shots of Mos Eisley that would end up being used you know in later special mm-hmm. editions and then bits and pieces come in in the prequels too just want some Jim Henson practical puppets that's all but we do get them I know I wanted more cuz we're going to the cantina yeah. the famous Mos Eisley we had cantina the big Jawa thing that was a puppet we do yeah like their um, their steed but uh, you know they they are they go to this cantina where where Obi Wan hopes to find a pilot willing to transport them discreetly. Classic cantina bop. And the you know the alien band is there. Mm-hmm. They're playing what is canonically known as jizz, <coughs> space jazz. Oh no! I uh, don't shoot the messenger. But this cantina is filled with lovely aliens. It's yeah. filled with puppets and you know really intricately designed alien characters. Uh, who are just there for this scene. They they exist solely for this part here, and that is that is like the charm of it. We always advocate for physical props on this on yes. this podcast, and this is just a great display of that because this is a seedy little dive bar on you know in, in like a port city. So all aliens of a ton of different planets are here hanging out. Yeah. And it's business as usual. Like, people get shot and killed. and Every day at this bar. And they're just like, whatever, we're going to keep drinking. <laughs> and it's it's set up perfectly. Um, 
So, uh, you know, Luke is is briefly accosted by some street toughs, uh, Buttface and Pignose, you know, I don't like either. start hassling him. But when the situation gets violent, Obi-Wan quickly intervenes <laughs> with his lightsaber, uh, deflects one, like, blaster shot, I think, and then takes the arm off of Buttface. Uh, and again, no one is surprised that this has just happened. Everyone keeps keeps on drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Obi-Wan has been talking with Chewbacca, the large furry Wookiee, who is the uh, first officer or co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. And we go to meet the Millennium Falcon's pilot, Han Solo. Huh? And uh, what do you think of Han? I don't like Han. He's kind of a douchebag. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Always bossing Chewie around. Chewie looks like he smells. Oh. Just needs a bath. But he looks like Bandit. I know. I, I like Han in this movie. There, I said it. He's, a, he's an asshole. I I will always he's like... He's a lovable rogue, but not in this house. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I will always like Han, because I've argued that Han is probably... You know, you need a character like him to kind of yes, uh, ground stories Yes, I get it. He's the like profiteer this. with the heart of stone. And he's, like, the... He's the closest thing to, like, an everyman... That you could yeah. get because Luke fills like the you know the the King Arthur kind mm-hmm. of you know kid with a big destiny and and Han is more like what what am I going to choose to do mm-hmm. and it's I think it's just an important part that again I think that the prequels and the sequels kind of missed out on because they don't have a character that that properly fits into that category mm-hmm. um, so uh, you know. It, Han Solo promises discretion. Uh, you know, he, his eyes light up when Obi-Wan states that they can pay them, like, 17,000 credits mm. to get, you know, them to Alderaan uh, without asking any questions. I guess Ben hit a lot in, like, Canasta on this planet or something. Well, yeah, they sell yeah. oh, they yeah. sell Luke's Scooty Puff. I don't think that Scooty Puff costs that much. And presumably, he would be able to get more from the Rebel Alliance mm. when they got there. But, uh, I don't know, maybe Obi-Wan's been saving up Credits. Dough on the side. Yeah. He's in crypto or something. Um, and then we get the famous brag from Han Solo. They're like, oh, this is this is the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Sure. Yeah. We're not going to do a deep dive into that until we get to that Solo oh, movie, because there's a whole discussion to be had there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they decide to, uh, you know, meet Han over at the docking bay to, to depart. But while they are doing so, and while they are selling Luke's uh, Scooty Puff... <laughs> A strange anteater spy yeah. is snooping as usual. Whose info is never them. revealed. Uh, he looks and sounds like a Sniffit mm-hmm. from the Mario series. I do have a <laughs> small action figure of him. I mm-hmm. don't know what his name is offhand, mm-hmm. but he is just the spy. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what he does. Um, and then in what was, I believe, a restored scene yeah, for an earlier this cut... One. Yeah. Uh, Han arrives at the Millennium Falcon to see that Jabba the Hutt yeah. and his crew are waiting for him there. And if you look in the background, you can see Boba Fett, mm-hmm. one of my faves, yeah. hanging out. The people demanded more Jabba. <laughs> they demanded more Jabba. I think you can see, uh, you know, Greedo is there. I almost forgot Greedo, oh. but before Han Solo leaves the cantina for the first time, he is confronted by Greedo, uh, a hitman, a, a assassin for... Uh, Job of the Hut, and in this edit, it's not that pronounced. Yeah, I didn't notice it. I was looking for it. 
it still it looks like when they redid this, it looks it looks more like it should, and that Han shoots first. Uh, but that's kind of establishing that Han is doing whatever it takes to survive. Yeah. Uh, but I I bring it up because. Like, in the background of this Jabba scene, there's, like, a reused Greedo <laughs> costume. So there's another Greedo in the yeah, background. Greedo's sibling. Um, but it was a fascinating little scene because originally, as I said, Jabba was just played by a portly mob boss-looking fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they went back to redo this scene for the special edition, they ran into a problem. Because at one point, <laughs> Han is, like, you know joking around he Crossing walks behind, behind Jabba, yeah. the actor who was really just a, a, a regular dude mm-hmm. and so when they went to cgi jabba in his slug form there uh they actually edited it kind of choppily so that han steps on jabba's it, tail yeah. and then keeps going around mm. now i it, we the jabba we know would never stand no. for an affront like yeah. that but for the sense of, like, making this scene work, that's what they did. Uh, but Jabba's like, you owe me a shitload of money. You dumped your cargo that you were running for me when, like, an Imperial uh, patrol came by. It, just keep in mind that for Han's plot in the future, he owes Jabba a considerable sum of credits still. Mm. So that'll that'll come back later. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the crew manages to escape in the Millennium Falcon, just as stormtroopers kind of descend on them, uh, but the Millennium Falcon is now kind of tagged as being associated with uh, this incident at Mos Eisley and with this rebel plot that's ongoing. Mm. Uh, so, back on the Death Star, uh, Leia has not given anything to the Empire. Yeah, from the mind probe bot. Uh, she's, her, you know force of will her her mental fortitude whatever she's not giving anything so grand moff tarkin decides to you know kind of not only to get uh, her talking but to make an example out of those who were aiding the rebellion and blow up the bennigans the one thing that she treasured above all else yeah the one thing that we (sighs) bennigans but uh heard a million sliders cry out and instantly silenced is again, I, I was telling Jonathan, mm. I've been watching these these original broadcast versions of MST3K on YouTube, and they have all the 90s commercials intact. There's Bugle Boy jeans ads, mm. there's ads for every kind of Nikon camera imaginable, Suzuki Samurais, Toyota Camrys, everything that the 90, the people in the 90s were, were celebrating movies starring gorillas because mm-hmm. the like there was a dime a dozen in the yeah, 90s Joe young congo yeah you 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 befriend a bigfoot or a gorilla and you go on a road trip that was just that was how society was yeah. um but bennigan's ads were frequent in there mm-hmm. with some beautiful looking potato skins <laughs> just the memories down. and it is gone yeah. all gone uh but uh you know under threat of having her planet destroyed leia kind of you know Gives false information, says that there is a rebel base on Dantooine, that is the the planet that they should be looking for, but Tarkin is like, "Mm, that's kind of a backwater, the only way that we're going to properly send a message Mm -hmm. is to destroy Alderaan, and they do. They charge up the main beam of the 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 Death Star that, uh, you know, fires and destroys the planet in a single hit. Uh, and, And Ben feels it elsewhere. Yes. Um, a million voices crying out all at once and then subtly going silent. Alderaan is all the gone? And it, it is one of those things that with the benefits of 
you know, kind of current technology that once we get to Rogue One, we can kind of see partially what happens when this Death Star cannon hits a planet. In that in that movie, it doesn't fire at full power because yeah. they can't conflict with this movie. But you know, it, it is one of the things we get to see eventually. Um, but Alderaan is destroyed, and even in the face of that, Leia gave them false information. There was no, there's no, there was a base on Dantooine, but it's empty and abandoned, so Leia is kind of unbreakable. So eventually they're just like, yeah, give it, give it a little bit, we're just going to execute her. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, yeah. there's nothing else we can do here. Um, so, on board the Millennium Falcon, Luke is being given his first training in using the Force. Uh, he's deflecting little, uh, you know, zap bolts from a training ball that's floating around and trying to shoot him. Uh, and he's supposed to block them with his lightsaber blade. Uh, and that, you know, doesn't come up a lot in the original trilogy, but by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, deflecting blaster bolts is is a fairly big deal, especially then when we get to the prequels, too. And in the video games. Yes. Um, so, you know, Luke is, is training, Han comes in to say he doesn't believe in that stuff. No. Bunch of, bunch of hocus-pocus. Yeah. I don't want nothing to do with it. Cockamamie religion. Only thing you need is a is a gun. Yeah, and some and, cash. And, and that's whiskey it. whiskey bottle, yeah. Um, and Luke, Space whiskey. Because Han doesn't believe in fate or destiny. He no. believes in making his own way. That's, that's important. Um... But then uh, Obi-Wan, you know, to, to kind of uh, have Luke take the next step, has him put on a helmet with a blast shield down so that he's essentially blindfolded doing this training. Yeah. And after a few missteps, Luke is able to successfully block the blaster bolts with the lightsaber. Uh, and that's the first, you know, sort of force ability that we see happen aside from obi-wan using the jedi mind trick mm-hmm. on the stormtroopers back you know uh, on tatooine um but that's more exposition the force is this this it is it, that's what it is it is a mm-hmm. cosmic force holding the universe together tying good and evil etc mm-hmm. binding all of us together um so they uh, they arrive where Alderaan should be, but Alderaan is gone. Yeah. It's just a bunch of rocks. It's just rocks, and how odd. And they think, it, is it a meteor shower? Yeah. Like, what is this? Uh, but no more Alderaan, and there is a, a lone TIE fighter out amidst this debris uh, that is surprising because a TIE fighter is a short-range craft. Mm-hmm. It couldn't go anywhere without some kind of Imperial base nearby. But it is heading back to that small moon over there. Mm, that's not a moon, Dan. It's the Death Star. <laughs> uh, and this goes to emphasize that to the characters in-universe, this is a big deal. There's yes. never been anything like this no. that they have seen. This is this is a new weapon that's going to kind of change the game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before they can escape, they are drawn into the Death Star by a tractor beam. Uh, presumably just because, you know, they're... They don't want any passing witnesses to see what has happened before they can properly announce this to the galaxy and mm-hmm. spin it how they want to. Yeah. Um, but also, the Millennium Falcon was tagged at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tatooine as, as probably aiding the princess in some capacity. So they're they're brought on board. Uh, but Vader feels something. Vader feels something. Yeah. Uh, something he hasn't felt in, in, a, in a long time. In years. Uh, but the... Our main heroes manage to avoid detection at first by hiding 
within these like smuggling, uh, smuggling yeah. uh, ports Areas that uh, Han yeah. put in, um, and you know they decide that they gotta they gotta get out of the ship. They gotta go rescue Leia, and Obi Wan you know takes it upon himself. I'm going to go and disable the tractor beam. Yeah. Um, you know, and he kind of ominously tells Luke that no matter what happens from here, the Force is with you. You know, don't worry about what's going to happen. So the rescue operation begins. Uh, Luke and Han manage to steal some stormtrooper armor and, uh, you know, head to the uh, detention area. Mm-hmm. Uh, R2 and C-3PO are left in, like, a data comms room where they can kind of hang out and map the place out while... Uh, Luke, Han, and Chewbacca, who they're pretending to take prisoner, Mm -hmm. is with them. Uh, But Han and Luke and Chewbacca get to the detention level, where Princess Leia is being held. Mm -hmm. A little famous scene where they, they, you know, blow away every Imperial officer in there. And try to pretend everything's okay. They shoot down the cameras, and then Han awkwardly tries to, like, Oh, no, we had a weapons misfire, but but we're good. Sorry, don't send anyone. Don't don't check. We're good. Mm-hmm. And then he just ends up blowing up the the, the communicator mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so they manage to get Princess Leia out of her cell. Looking pretty good for all the mental and physical torture that she's been through. Hey, she's resilient <laughs> she, <laughs> at the very does, least. <laughs> doesn't look like she cried a drop, Dan. <laughs> and that's Leia. Yeah, she doesn't allow yeah. herself like she. I think she even says when they arrive on, on Yavin later, like, there's no time to mourn anyone right now mm-hmm. because we still have, like, a fight, yeah, uh, you know, ongoing. And that's that's what Leia is. Leia is the, is the toughest of these three mm-hmm. characters. Like, Han and Luke can be goobers in their own right, but Leia has to kind of keep things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in this case, they escape down a garbage chute. <laughs> Uh, to kind of get away from the Imperials who are swarming mm. the detention level yeah. now. Uh, famous trash compactor scene. There's a garbage beast in there. A Dianoga uh, is, is what it's called. Of course. It's swimming around, yeah. eating that garbage water. Well, That's what it likes. a space testness shot after all this. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the garbage compactor does start compacting. Mm. Uh, but at the last minute, Luke is able to get a message to 3PO yeah. to have R2 shut down yeah. the garbage compactors. We get some good droid bonding time. We do. Like, he's like, oh, my, my metal hands were too slow, R2, hear them scream. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the first time that R2 uses his little scomp link yeah. where he <laughs> to plug in play. plugs into the yeah. wall and then, you know, looks at everything and alters we things We were saying R2 must have far more storage than our PS5, so... Almost certainly, yeah. yeah. What what's on the chopping block next? I don't know. Probably cyberpunk, but who knows? Mm. Um, so they manage to escape from the garbage compactor and you know make their way back to the Millennium Falcon in the hope that Obi Wan has deliber- uh, disabled the tractor beams, mm-hmm. which he has. Yeah, and there's plenty of shootouts occurring. There's a moment at a bridge mm-hmm. where you know Luke and Leia get separated from Chewbacca and, and, well, and Han. Han and Chewbacca like divert the yeah. stormtroopers in their direction at first mm-hmm. to like you know get their attention, and then they'll meet back up at the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then we get Luke and Leia swinging over that yeah. that chasm. A kiss for luck. Which, which luckily is as far as it went, mm. since they're revealed to be siblings. No. Um, but spoiler, uh, spoiler. No. Uh, but they they do get back to the Millennium Falcon, and you know. Uh, but before Obi Wan can get there, he is finally confronted with his old apprentice Darth Vader, yeah. and they have the first lightsaber duel in 
Star Wars proper. A very low stakes, it feels like. like it's, just, yes. like, it's low energy. I know we got an oldie here. Mm-hmm. You know, trained fencer. And yeah, it feels like Harry Potter with a Dumbledore fighting. The practical yeah. version, or the practical explanation for this is just that the lightsaber props in this first movie were like pieces, like they were sticks fitted They're just with fluorescent tubes, fluorescent lights. Oh no, even yeah. less than that, they were like reflective tubes with like three M tape over them or uh. something. And they were fragile, so mm. if you if you made too much of an impact with them, they'd just break, and you'd have to restart the filming mm. the scene. Um, so they couldn't do anything as like daring as they did in in the sequels mm-hmm. uh, with it, like in this first, because they hadn't figured out the way to do it yet. Yeah. Um, but then, in like an in-universe sense. Whenever people talk about this fight, it's like, oh, okay, maybe Darth Vader wasn't going, like, ham on this. Mm-hmm. It's like an old man versus, you know, a machine man. But that doesn't really track with what we know Vader can do. So, it, but it just, it comes down to this is practically how it had to be shot. Yeah. And there was no way around it looking like this. Um, but, uh, you know, Obi-Wan promises Vader that if he strikes him down, he will become more powerful than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And with Luke watching from afar, Obi-Wan is indeed struck down by Darth Vader. No! Famous scene, uh, he he disappears into his robes and just, like, yeah. dis- vanishes, seemingly. Yeah. He pulls an alphabet. And his disembodied voice actually uh, encourages a despondent yeah. Luke to just escape um, and, and run. Yeah. Um, so they successfully, uh, you know, escape with Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. They are briefly chased and attacked by Some TIE Fighters. TIE fighters. Yep. But we, uh, they, they, you know, uh, fend them off with the Millennium Falcon's mounted guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, another famous space battle scene, uh, you know. Which, which again, yeah. everything, everything in here serves a practical purpose. Yeah, we see like the little screens and the. It's just like two red, you know, uh, spirograph drawings mm-hmm. like overlapping. Then that's how you target them, and it's 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 just charming mm-hmm. in its own way. Um, but they do manage to successfully stop the TIE Fighters and escape, but they, uh, you know, obviously Luke is very sad about Obi-Wan mm-hmm. to the point where uh, Leia comforts him, like, okay. <laughs> despite yeah. her planet being gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they finally arrive. And isn't this the part where she's talking to Han, like, oh, you care about his money? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Han's like, I'm getting my, yeah. I'm getting paid, and I'm getting out of here. Your like, friend over here, I wonder if he cares about anything, well, or anyone. Well, famously, he drops the line, I'm not in this for your revolution. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I don't care about what the political situation is, I'm getting paid, and I'm yeah. getting out. And that's, uh, you know, what's good. And then we have, like, uh, we have, like, a cute moment where Luke is like... I care. Like, oh, yeah, I care. <laughs> yeah, and then Han's oh, like... I care. So what do you think, kid? You think a scoundrel like me and a princess could get together? And he's like, no, no, uh, no, I don't. So it's like they're they're we'll jealous see. and stuff. Um, so they finally arrive at the rebel, the main rebel base, seemingly at Yavin Four. And here's where the puzzle piece pieced together for me. It is. It's yeah. the Battle of Yavin. This is the Battle of Yavin. Um, but the uh, you know. It's it's kind of like an understated moment, but Leia does speculate, and it's later confirmed that the Empire was just tracking the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. They they installed a tracking beacon beacon in the ship when it was you know under lock and key there, 
And it was like, okay, so even if they escape, they'll lead us back to the rebel base. And that is what happens. Yeah. Um, so the Death Star arrives uh, within the Yavin system, mm-hmm. and it has about 30 minutes before it will clear the orbit of this gas okay. giant yeah. and be within firing range of Yavin 4, where the base is. Yeah, and all of uh, the rebels are analyzing the plans found on R2 yes. to look for any potential weaknesses, and there is one small duct. As we will later yeah. see, was was engineered by Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. There is a fatal weakness that has been built into the Death Star, where if you shoot a proton torpedo... Yeah. Actually, I don't, are they called protons? Or, that's Star know. Trek. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> a beam. Yeah. A laser beam. If you shoot a torpedo, yeah. uh, you know, down into the this, of the ship. this chute <laughs> yeah. here, it will start a chain reaction that will destroy the entire base. Uh, and, and you you did ask, rightfully yeah. so, the question, like, <laughs> why didn't they just cover that up? Put something over that. But it, we do learn later that it was, you know, intentional. Mm-hmm. It was like Mads Mikkelsen put it there so that someone could destroy the Death mm-hmm. Star if it had to. Obviously, that was not planned at the time, yeah. but that's how it was, uh, you know, presented. Mm-hmm. That's how it is in canon now. Yeah. Um so they're going to have to send a bunch of single fighters into this, in you know, to face the Death Star because larger cruisers would just get shot down by the Death Star's mounted weaponry. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, I googled it so that I knew the details properly. Mm. The squadrons that are sent are the gold, red, and green squadrons, um, and Luke joins the red squadron mm-hmm. uh, because his buddy... Big's Dark Lighter. Yeah, who's also there. Luke! Is there and yeah. gives him the recommendation to, like, hop in an X-Wing and join yeah. this battle. And Luke asks Han to stay, but he says no. Nope. Yeah. He got his reward money, and but he's he, out. He does say, may the force be with you, kid. And Luke is like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and, cool. But he's, but he's uh, you know, Luke is sad that Han isn't yeah. joining. But yeah. uh, they, they hop in their X-Wings. Another famous scene. Mm-hmm. The X-Wings round Yavin 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, round... The Yavin gas giants start, you know, they they lock their wings into attack position. Yeah. Uh, R2 is also on the ship. R2 the ship, is in yeah. is in Luke's and ship. And C-3PO is like, please come back. Who will I belittle? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, because R2 is an astromech droid, he mm. is he is meant to make repairs mid-flight on ships. Uh, and he fits in like a little cubby compartment yes. on the back of the X-wing for the purposes of this fight. Uh, but there's also some Y wings uh, of another kind of ship. Mm in the mix here uh i think canonically there's like 30 ships that go in here but they are destroyed kind of uh in short order because they they approach the death star they make a run at the trench but as uh you know through the through the mounted guns and everything on the surface of the death star and the fighters that are dispatched uh, they're losing so many people. Yeah. Uh, they they are not really faring well against the Imperial military here. And situation is looking yeah. somewhat bleak. Leia's biting her nails. Leia's biting Sans her nails. Because nail. yeah. uh, we're on like a like a set time limit yeah. here that, you know, when that time limit expires, the Death Star will be in range to fire and mm-hmm. the Rebels will be doomed. Um, but uh, Darth Vader decides to take matters into his own hands. And he goes out into the fray in his own special TIE Advanced Fighter, which has a unique shape compared to the others. 
and more importantly has a hyperdrive built into it so he can escape wink wink if he mm-hmm. has to um but the you know so he because we've had his piloting skills kind of teased to us yeah. makes short work of of rebels that he encounters in this mm-hmm. in this dogfight um and by the end of it even after red leader makes an attempt at shooting the exhaust port it misses and then he's killed and the only ones that are left at the you know the final stretch you know wedge has his x-wing damaged mm-hmm. so he has to flee the battle mm-hmm. but wedge does survive and then biggs who is kind of watching luke's back is sadly killed mm-hmm. by vader in this in this dogfight rip we knew them for 5 minutes and that leaves just luke making just this trench luke. run yep. Famously by himself, we got the camera zooming down into the trench. Yeah, to... We got two different countdowns occurring at the same time. We got the machine showing us how close we're getting. Yes, and then Vader's like, yeah, like yeah, adjusting yeah. his I scope have you now. Uh, but uh, a yeehoo, yeah, yeehoo rings out as yeah. Han in the Millennium Falcon uh, kind of fly Does down, one decent thing, <laughs> and shoot down the other two Tie Fighters and damage. Uh, Vader's tie advanced wing enough so that he spirals out and flies off into <laughs> space nearby. Yes. Uh, and that's probably my favorite moment in the movie is when Han returns to do that. It's yeah. it's it's cheesy, but it's it's a favorite of mine. <laughs> and uh, you know, Luke is continuing the run, and he hears Ben's voice urging him to just trust in the Force. Don't use your no scope. So don't yeah don't <laughs> don't use, use the no scope. Yeah. Uh, so Luke turns off his targeting computer, trusts in the Force, and fires the missiles that go into the exhaust port and mm. destroy the Death Star. And Tarkin, who had pridefully stayed behind because like, it's a moment of triumph, I'm yes. not leaving, uh, yeah. is destroyed along with the Death Star. Just a lot of violence. I mean, it's like 70s violence when people blown up and not like any on-screen deaths, but... A lot of people die in this movie. Yeah, they do. They yeah. do. Uh, and then, and then Darth Vader uh, is spinning out in space. Uh, he <laughs> levels out, presumably looks and says, "Oh shit!" shit they just blew go. up the Death Star, yeah. and he flees yeah, to I'll parts be back unknown. Gadget. Um, and you know, and then really quick wrap up to this film. Yeah, yeah. Luke, uh, Han, and Leia reunite yeah. at the base. R two and C three PO's love is rekindled. Yeah, R two got his head yeah. like shot. <laughs> yeah, at this part I didn't like. Like C three PO was like, "Please repair him," and Luke's like, "He'll be fine." Yeah, well, he will be. He'll be repaired. Yeah, but I mean, okay. And C three PO's like, "You can take my circuits if you need them, please." <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've grown so used to him, and but but R two is fine yeah. as is three PO. Uh, and Luke and Han are, you know, rewarded with medals yeah, for their for service. Chewy, none, none for Chewie, none for R2-D2, none for C-3PO. Quite famously. No as, posthumous one for Ben. As Rise of Skywalker would, would remind us. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a happy... The Empire is not defeated. No. But it is a happy ending for our characters at this point. Yes. But there is so much left to do in I this know. galaxy. I know. I would think it would be the end of this, but no, there's still more, much more. Thanks to incredible, you know, uh, word of mouth and tons of sold out theaters and tons of uh, yeah. toys that were sold before they even physically existed, mm. uh, Star Wars would continue uh, and the Empire would strike back, which we will get to Eventually. inevitably on this podcast. Mm. Any final thoughts? I enjoyed it. It's a fun little romp. Why did I ever not like Star Wars? Yeah, exactly. Surely nothing wrong happens in this series. It doesn't get <laughs> dumb or stupid or... No, you know, not at any point. The acting isn't cheesy or... Uh, 
good at any point. Yeah, I don't think so. But right now, I'm in a good spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yay Star Wars. Yeah, no, yay Star Wars. I, I am very happy and grateful that I got to share this movie on I the know, podcast. you got it out of your system. You must I did. Clean. I did. <laughs> Uh, so I can, I can, you, you know, rest easy now, dabble back into some obscure shit yeah. before we move on to the next yes. installment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy we got to cover it. Mm-hmm. It was fitting for a good movie podcast. Uh, I love Star Wars. Yes, I love Star Wars. I like Star Wars. But, uh, before we wrap up this good movie podcast for the day, is there anywhere that our audience can reach us? You can find me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, Drink and Read JK on Twitter, or sorry, X, and then also Losing My Mind JK on the TikTok. You can also follow my other two podcasts, being Nightcaps at the Theater and Drink and Read the Podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, X and Threads as King underscore Dennis, where I have some artwork and a backlog yes, that I'm going yeah. to start some uploading. New season art too to share. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm they very... offer us some teases for what's to come. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm very pleased oh, with how that. I I think good. it'll. Yeah, well. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And drawing board got a new design for yeah. the new year too. Mm-hmm. So new new year, new him. Yeah. Uh, finally, but. Uh, any teases about what's to come, Jonathan? Well, we're going back to Deathmeister Academy in Nevada. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. <laughs> and we met our um, groups of soul, uh, sorry, Reapers and Weapons. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to meet the big bad, our first big bad of the series. Very good. And see how that plays out. Maybe, Dan, maybe you'll draw the Immortal Blade, Excalibur. Oh, that little dude. Mm. <laughs> He's coming then. What do you mean? He's the greatest yeah. weapon of all. Well, I, I'm excited either way, and uh, I'll end on R.I.P. Porkins. What's better than a bad movie? Well, sometimes a good movie, of course. And here on Good Movie Podcast, Dan, Jonathan, and maybe even a couple of guests talk about the movies that made them. Think of this as a once-in-a-while, more casual discussion on the details and nuances of films we love. And more of an after-movie chat with Nicole Kidman in the AMC ad. That's the kind of vibe we're going for here. As always, the Anime Was Not a Mistake family appreciates the loyal listeners like you. Thank you. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake or our personal social media accounts that we mention at the end of the episode. With that, we'll let the music play us out. Thanks as always, and remember to ask yourself, what makes a good movie good? <laughs>